and submit to his word. Um, on Friday, actually this week, um, I usually try to take Fridays off, and I was doing what most of you do on a day off, getting stuff done. So I was sitting in an uh, auto glass shop getting a, a, a new windshield in our, our van, and there was some, I don't watch much TV, it's, I think it was Fox Station, there was some show called The Doctors, and they were talking about various things, and some of it inappropriate, and I was thought, what a silly show, and suddenly broke in with the, um, the live broadcast of um, Billy Graham's funeral, and so as I sat there for, I was there for an hour and a half, I saw that they played the whole thing live. Uh, other people are all sitting there, not really paying attention, reading People magazine, whatever, and I sat there, and I, I cried for an hour. I just cried. It brought, even hearing certain songs, um, I had a, a variety of memories that are associated with him and some of the music, and it just is kind of bringing all that back um, to me. And then suddenly it was over, and some other show came on. I don't remember the name of it, but it was about as trivial and foolish as it was just such a contrast. Um, and it came to my mind and as I sat there um, and hearing what was done in that service. Um, it reminded me of the beauty of the gospel story and how simple and how clear it is. It reminded me of the incredible power of transformation through the Spirit. And then you couldn't miss it if you watched it, the absolute unshakable truth of God's word. And that, that, that is our foundation, our guiding point for all that we do. So un, knowing that, let's hear God's very words from a book that we love, Matthew, from chapter 17. I'll be reading beginning at verse 22. As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And he'll be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. And when they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the tax? And he said, Yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to Peter first and said, What do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when Peter said, From others, Jesus said to him, Then the sons are free. However, not to give them offense, go to the sea, cast a hook, take the first fish that comes up. When you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. And take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. Lord, even in unusual stories, we would ask that you would um, teach our hearts. Show us something about yourself and make us more like you in your name. Amen. Before you have a seat, um, say hello to somebody you don't know, find out their name, and then uh, we'll turn to Matthew 17. Go ahead and find a seat, and we're going to be in Matthew 17. Matthew 17. I recall we, we reviewed last week kind of the structure of Matthew to kind of give us a picture of where we're at in this book. Um, we are completing the fourth narrative section out of five in Matthew, and then um, next week when we hit uh, chapter 18, we enter into the fourth discourse, which is sometimes called the community discourse or the discourse to the church, and um, that will begin with next week. And last week, as we looked at those uh, the first 21 verses of chapter 17, um, of the, the transfiguration and the, uh, 
the lesson with the disciples not being able to cast out and heal this uh, man's son, um, we were exhorted to look at Jesus, to pay attention to him, to behold him, to listen to him so that we become more like him. And one of the phrases was, we, we become um, what we behold. We become what we behold. So paying attention to Jesus, looking at him, what is he doing, what's he like, as we arrest, let our attention be captivated by him, we become more like him. And then we secondly, we looked at the fact that we look at Jesus through a posture of dependence, as, as needy people who, who can't make it happen, but he can make it happen in us. And we come to him with humility and dependence and a, a sense of neediness in our hearts. And so um, we're moving through 17, and we're actually going to, we saw some last week, but a couple more this week, characteristics of Jesus that we should pay attention to. If we behold him, we want to know what he's like and, and then try to copy that in our own lives. So as I said, one of the characteristics we observed last week was dependence. Even Jesus said, um, lived a life of prayer and fasting here as dependence on the Father to accomplish the work that he came to do. And so too, we are called to put away self-sufficiency and embrace dependence on God. In our passage today, um, kind of unusual one, but um, we're going to see two more portraits of Jesus, uh, things to look at, things to imitate. And the first one will be sacrificial love. And the second one will be a, I'm not really sure how to word this, but a readiness to give up our rights for the sake of the kingdom in his work. Um, sacrificial love and a readiness to lay aside our rights for the sake of the kingdom, um, which is significant in, in, a, in a world and a culture dominated by um, selfies and an expectation that everyone should have their opinion heralded, um, where rights are demanded and fought for rather than given up um, the way Jesus interacted is, is a huge contrast to that, um, very much different. His characteristics and his actions that are, we are called to imitate actually confront and challenge um, the way our world operates today. And it confronts and challenges the way our hearts generally operate as well. So um, he begins with a word of, I don't know if we call it a um, warning, but a prophecy or warning um, here in verse 22. I recall in Matthew 16, verse 24, Jesus said, If anyone would come after me, let him take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake um, will find it. Jesus, his entire approach when he comes here is... is uh, completely different than what we would naturally go towards. The path of Jesus is a path of descent. It's a path of suffering. And again, in the passage we have tonight, um, he makes it clear that, that suffering comes before glory, and Jesus embraces that step. And so we have this, uh, this third time, actually, when Jesus lets the disciples know ahead of time, this is what is going to happen. He doesn't want them to be surprised by it. He doesn't want their faith to be shaken up over. He wants them to be thinking about what's going to happen, even though they don't quite get it. And so he says here in verse 22, as they were gathering Galilee, Jesus said, the Son of Man, which he's referred to himself that way in Matthew over and over again, is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And their response is, is they were greatly distressed. Interesting, they don't really ask anything about it. You ever, ever somebody says something, and you know it shakes you up, and you know that you have questions about it, but you just decide not to say anything. I'm just going to let it take it in. That's kind of what happens with them. 
Notice a couple of the key words here. It says, the Son of Man is about to be. In other words, it's coming soon. They're, they're right around the corner from um, the, the, the procession into Jerusalem. So after we, we get through Jesus' discourse on the community and the church, we're going to be heading to Jerusalem. So he's, everything's moving rapidly towards that day. So it's, it's coming soon. And yet the reminder is Jesus holds the timetable for what's coming. So he says it's coming soon, not because it's starting to happen and he's in a panic, like it's going to happen and, and, I, and I've lost control, but Jesus is in control of what's happening. He owns the timetable. It comes at his appointed time, even not by chance. When he, when he dies on the cross, it happens at the same time that the sacrificial Passover lamb is being slain in the temple. Um, down, to, down to the very hours, when you look at the whole course of history up to that point, and then Jesus comes and he dies at a very specific time, all lined up to, to accomplish exactly what God did. And says he'll be delivered into the hands of men. Interesting, it doesn't mean that somebody took a hold of Jesus and offered him up, because you know it didn't happen. Remember the, the story in the garden when the uh, um, Judas comes along and they, they have the, the troops with them and they go to, to get Jesus and they say, are you he? And he says, I'm him. And everybody falls down, that story. It's like nothing happens without Jesus allowing it to happen. So they come thinking they're going to take him. He's giving himself up. He's delivering his own self over to them. If he didn't want them to take him, they wouldn't have had any ability to do so. And then it says he's going to be offered into the hands of men. Um, I was just thinking, what, what kind of God does that? Um, the God of creation in the universe, and that's, that's created the expanse of the heavens, um, that out of all of his creative being overflows into this, the beauty of the earth that he makes, um, who stands righteous and holy and transcendent. And then he comes here and he, he offers himself in dependence and weakness to the hands of sinful men. Um, consider everything that he gives up for us. And with all their wrong motives and the evil of their heart and everything that goes into it, um, he says, take me. Take me and do as you want. Um, incredible statement about the very heart of God. When it says he is killed, but then he'll be raised in the third day. Interesting, again, this is what's going to happen. It's going to happen in this order. It's going to happen in this time. It's all on God's timetable and God's control. This is not a tragedy that then God decides, tries to figure out a way to make use of it but it was the, the plan set in motion from the very beginning as God takes it and moves towards things as he wants to do. Philippians chapter 2 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Which makes a lot of sense because we're weak people, right? Um, we should do that. Let not each of you look to his own interest, but also the interest of others. But why do we do that? Not just because that's how we are, but that's what Jesus does. Have this mind in yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was born in the form, was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. In other words, he was willing to let things go. 
to release things that were his. And emptied himself and took the form of a servant. And being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So in the simple statement when Jesus tells his disciples, the day is coming, it's right around the corner, and I am going to be delivered into the hands of men and killed, but on the third day I'll rise again. Um, again, it's not a tragedy. It's not something out of his control, but it's the very heart of God that would offer up himself. And um, if God sacrifices himself, what should we be doing? The very God who holds all things, who, who, who doesn't need to sacrifice anything, has, there's under no obligation to give up anything. As a matter of fact, he could just make demands. That is the one who goes as far as you can possibly go in terms of expressing sacrificial love. So we have an example to behold. That last week we said, um, it says, look at Jesus. What's he like? Behold him. What's he like? He sacrifices everything. Completely sacrifices everything. And had no responsibility. No, didn't even have to do so, but he did. And then we get this crazy story about taxes and fish. And what I think he's doing is Jesus says, um, I'm going to sacrifice myself. I'm giving myself up for the, all the world. We're called to do the same, love sacrificially, um, to give up things. And then he's going to give us, well, here's one way you could do it, one small way. We're not going to go to the cross, but let's give you a small way. And I think that's part of what this story is about. He's called us to sacrifice. Now he gives us an example of sacrificing. Verse 24 says, when they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the tax? And Peter said, yes. I'm not sure if Peter actually knew if he paid it or not, but he said, yeah, he does. I'm sure he, I'm sure he pays that. Um, between chapters 13 and 17, they have been wandering all over. I think they're actually biding some time before they head down to the Passover time. They've crossed uh, the lake and returned back again. They've gone up to Tyre and Sidon. They've gone east into Gentile territory along the Sea of Galilee. They've hung around near Tiberias, and they went 20 miles actually north to Caesarea Philippi, and now they've moved back in here to Peter's hometown of Capernaum. And so these collectors um, come to Peter to say, does Jesus pay this particular tax? Um, there's debate about where this tax came from. Um, Exodus 30 talked about a temple tax. Um, in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 10, there was a tax exacted for the people of the upkeep of the, uh, the, the work of the temple and the, the work that they're doing there. But over the course of time, somehow something's evolved, and there's this, this, this temple tax um, that people were supposed to pay. And uh, some people, th uh, there's some place that says it's paid like once uh, a year, once a lifetime. Um, it appears by the time Jesus came, um, each year just before the Passover, they would collect this temple tax. And this tax um, was used to help fund the needs for the Passover. Um, Josephus, who was a historian, um, writes after Jesus' time, before the Jerusalem was destroyed, and he says that the tax that came in from this temple tax ended up being so much that they wouldn't, they wouldn't know what to do with it. They had more than they needed, so they started making gold vines and things, all sorts of different things, because there was so much money there, um, basically for this, the Passover, and it wasn't all needed. Um, so it's interesting that they're paying a tax, and 
you ever give tax think oh, nobody needs this anyways what's this going for anyways it's just you know get uh, a worthless tax or what but they would pay it each year and they came to um the purpose of the question i think perhaps they're testing jesus again like are you doing what you're supposed to be doing um or maybe they're just doing their rounds and collecting the tax which they would have come to peter's house peter would be responsible for paying the tax for his household which would be why maybe they went to peter instead of jesus but they they come here and ask about the tax. And Peter says yes. Um, it doesn't say anything that he paid it at that moment. But somehow after that, Jesus decides to use that as a chance to instruct him. And so he says when they came into the house, maybe those guys were standing outside at the moment, I'm not really sure. Jesus spoke to him and said, what do you think, Simon? From who do the kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? When he said from others, Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. Now, this is not like the United States, so um, whoever's king or president, he's got to pay taxes too. But here in this place, the guys who ruled, they taxed everybody else. And the idea here is, if, like if King Herod is taxing people, he's not going to tax his son. Oh, the King Herod is bad. He probably did tax his sons. But generally, the kings didn't tax their own family. Um, it would even be true in the Roman Empire where the the, um, the citizens of the Roman Empire didn't have to pay the same taxes as the Gentiles. So the people that were conquered had to pay more, or all of it. The people who were the rulers, the, the, uh, the rulers of Rome, and then all the citizens had these freedoms. And here in this case, the same thing. Jesus saying, so if you have a king who's going to tax the people, does he pay the tax? The answer is no. Would he make his family pay the tax? And the answer is no, of course not. You don't make them pay the tax. They, this is their, their free thing they get. Um, and so Jesus says, well, then they're free from having to pay. That's, that's, that's his illustration he uses here. So what's, what's this all about? Um, well, let's go on. Um, he goes on to say, um, however, not to give offense. Um, and and the, the word is, is giving us purpose. In order that, for a purpose that, so that, not to offend them, he tells Peter, go down to the sea and throw a hook into the water. By the way, Peter generally fished with nets. Uh, Peter, to, to take a, a, a line and a, a hook and throw it out there, that was something that the kids did. He probably wouldn't have done that, but that's what Jesus tells him to do. Um, by the way, when you throw a net, you get lots of fish, right? When you throw a hook, you're going to get one or none, whichever way it goes for you. <laughs> and take the first fish that comes up. By the way, what... How do you take the first fish that comes up? Exactly what is that about? Is that the first fish that grabs on? Or is there a fish that's going to come up and it's just going to, whatever's happening here. And when you open the fish's mouth, you're going to find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. Actually, the shekel was exactly double what the tax was. So it was enough for two people instead of one. So first of all, the miracle. Think about what Jesus says um, has to happen here. Um, a shekel is going to get dropped somewhere, got dropped into the sea, somewhere along the line. And some fish is going to come along and scoop it up, but not swallow it. It's going to kind of keep it kind of in its mouth for a while. And then it's going to happen to get this, at this right moment, the hook goes in the water, and the fish is going to grab that hook. By the way, grabbing the hook without dropping the shekel, it's still in its mouth. And Peter pulls it in, and Peter's going to find that in, in his mouth. So... All of that work <laughs> to do what? Well, it's a, there's a lesson. There's a lesson Jesus wants to teach, something for us to get. 
And the key word here is however. You see, um, when Jesus dies and the curtain is torn, um, the, the temple loses its place. Um, it's already actually, the, the, Holy, the God had left that place long before. And we become the temple of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus carries the temple in himself as he walks. And so there's this tax going to, for the upkeep of the temple, which, by the way, by AD 70 is not going to exist anymore anyways. It's, it's going to be complete rubble. And Jesus knows that just around the corner, he is completing everything. And now the temple becomes us. And the temple means nothing at that point. And if Jesus is God himself, and he's the very temple, and he rips the curtain, does Jesus have to pay to upkeep the temple? And the answer is no. He's the king. He's the king of the temple. He's the, the high priest of it all. He's, he's the one who carries it with him. And so he, he's not responsible to pay anything. And then it goes further. If, if God is a king and Jesus is his son, remember just in the passage before, what do we hear from heaven? This is my son in whom I am pleased. And he's free from obligation to pay the temple tax along with everybody who's his children. And who are his children? Well, it's us, Romans 8, 16, and 17. We're, we're, we're joint heirs with him. Jesus is greater than the temple, and yet he chooses to pay the tax. So the issue is here, Jesus is the king. He's the, 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 the God rules over things. And we're his children. So Jesus is basically saying, you know what? We don't need to pay this because this is all about me. I'm, I'm, I rule all those things. So we don't have to pay. We are free. We can tell these guys, no, we're not going to pay it. And we are free not to pay it. But then Jesus says, but I'm going to pay it anyways. I'm going to pay it anyways. Not because he's under obligation, but rather because he is working for the influence of the kingdom. So he says, in order not to give offense, um, why should we offend these guys unnecessarily so that they're not, they go off mad and they're never going to hear the truth and the story. They're never going to recognize who I am. Why not just pay them even though we are under no obligation whatsoever to pay? Why not just pay them to keep that door open so that the influence of the kingdom can move forward? Why give an unnecessary block to that happening? I think that's what he's saying. Um, Jesus, in, here they're asking for a temple tax from the, the king of kings, the ruler of all things, the one who's going to fulfill all those things. And Jesus could say, why are you asking me to pay this? You guys have no idea what you're asking. I'm actually the Passover lamb. It's going to take away the sins of the world. And yet Jesus says, you know what, Peter? We're going to pay it anyways. We're going to pay it because we want, we, we want the kingdom to flourish in the lives of people. Let's not put anything in the way of that happening. And so he goes through this crazy miracle where he sends Peter off. And it doesn't even tell us that, it, that Peter did it. We're assuming that he did it. And it's assumed that Peter went there and found it enough for both of them. And they paid it, and the story ends. If Jesus is ready to give his life, he's ready, to, the king of kings, to offer up his life, I think his calling to disciples is giving up our rights in such a small thing very important? Is that so much to do, to give up our rights in one small? Jesus, who gives up all the rights of heaven, who um, wanders on, the, on this earth um, unrecognized, 
who offers himself into the hands of sinful men to kill him, he says, could you not give up some of our rights as well? Is it a, such a sm these small things that really in the end don't matter? Could we give those things up in order so that the influence and the work of the kingdom can go forward unhindered? The question comes, are we quick to lay down our rights? Among um, the Christian community today, um, I, I see, um, I observe lots of anxiety um, and fearfulness about what's happening in our country, for instance. Um, what rights are we going to lose as believers? Um, and I like the rights that we have. I enjoy them. Um, we're, we're worried that the government's going to curb these rights and curb these rights, and we're not going to be able to do this, and they're going to make us do this, and Churches are fearful that we're not going to get tax-free stuff anymore. And so what's going to happen as though God can't take care of that if he wants to? Um, and we get anxious and we go to court um, to fight for our rights and to maintain them. And I'm not saying that that's all wrong. I think we have different opinions. I'm sure we have a variety of opinions about that. But I often think through what's the purpose behind that? Because it's going on all the time. We're the, the churches in the courts, Christians in courts all over the place fighting for rights. Um, what's the purpose behind that? Um, I think if we're really honest, in many cases, it's because I want this world to be comfortable for me. I want it to work on my terms. I, I don't want to have to give up. It should work. I mean, by our country started this way, therefore I have a right to keep it this way, and, and it needs to fit me. Rather than am I fighting for those things because I believe that the gospel will go out more because of it. I think in most cases it probably doesn't. Because we think it's, do we think it's going to help the spread of the kingdom or because we simply just don't want our rights infringed on, which is really about my own life? Um, I realize some of the issues, and we could pull a newspaper and read through some of these different issues that are being addressed today, are multifaceted and our opinions might vary. Um, and, and even Jesus did. There's a place to stand against certain things. But it's interesting, when it's just Jesus and his own rights, he just lays them down over and over and over again. His default is to give up rights, not to hang on to them. Our default is what? Hang on to rights. And if Jesus really makes clear, I'll finally begin to release them. And I think we need to turn that around. Interesting that, um, of note that Paul, um, his rights get trampled on all the time. Um, and the only place he eventually then, um, remember the story where they're, they're trampling on his rights and he's a Roman citizen. And so finally he says, I'm a Roman citizen. You've treated me, you've, you've broken the law the way you've treated me. And they're all shocked and suddenly we've got to take care of this. And the only time he, he, he actually takes a hold of and he holds his rights up and says, I have this right. You know what his purpose is? Because God had called him to go to Rome and it gets him to Rome. That's his whole purpose behind it is to, to move him towards what God had said for him. Up to that point, he was, he was letting himself be beat and all sorts of things. But eventually, he let, taking my rights and standing for them is the entryway to bring the gospel where it needs to go. And so he does it, and actually he ends up you know, sitting in jail most of the time anyways. Are believers today known more as adversarial people, or are we known first as people who let go of rights? Let go of our right to our own opinion, 
the last word, fairness, recognition, a society that fits my ideas and makes my life easier. Which, by the way, I love having all those things. But is that what we're supposed to hang on to? And the degree that we hang on to them, do we make a block for the gospel to spread? Do we create offense unnecessarily? Rather than just trusting God to take care of those things and move them forward. In the passage tonight, I think we see it. We, we're, we're, we have to be people who surrender their privilege for the sake of the message we carry. We're called to surrender our privileges for the sake of the message that we carry, which is a hard, a hard truth. So Jesus shows two things here. One, he shows sacrificial love all the way to the point of death. He says, be like that. Be like that. And then he says, and when, the, when that comes along, live sacrificial living. And that begins with the giving up of rights, giving up our rights for the sake of the gospel the sake of the kingdom to spread. Celeste, you guys can come on back up here. The, the table in the middle that we have here every single week and gather around while we're singing is designed, it's there to remind us of those very things. That Jesus gave everything for us. That he gave up all of his rights, his position, everything in order to give us the freedom and the freedom is there for us to do the same thing, to be changed and transformed so we can do the same thing. Second Corinthians chapter 8 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich at all these things, yet for your sake he became poor, he let go, so that you, us, by his poverty might become rich. And if we understand that the riches that we have are all the spiritual blessings in heavenly places, all the earth things that we have are easier to let go of. And we remember what he did for us. So as we sing, um, if you know the Lord, I encourage you to gather here or the, the table in the middle. Um, and remember his sacrifice and offer ourselves up to be sacrificial the way he was. Jesus, it's a, a wonder knowing who you are, at least a glimpse of it, that you were so willing to offer up and not demand and not hold your rights as the king of the universe over the world. And it was those steps that then open the door for us to have life and newness and forgiveness and become men and women of God. We thank you for it. And as we gather around the table and as we sing, Lord, um, work in our hearts to be people who are like you, sacrificial and quick to offer up ourselves for the sake of one another. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>